You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. The anchor of our soul. Hebrews 6 and verse 19, the Bible says this in part, talking about Jesus, talking about the gospel, the cross, the tomb that is emptied, the fact that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, the whole gospel narrative. And that, the writer of Hebrews pens this hope. We have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Those who were saved, in other words. What is it that anchors our soul? You might be here today and say, you know what, I've got enough money that I don't have to work the rest of my life. Well, what happens when your life is over? Our money is not the anchor of our soul. You may say, well, I've got this little house and it's paid for and that gives me security. Well, it does down here, but someone else will own that house one day. You may say, well, I've got the best relationships, I've got the best job, I've got the best career. I've got it all going on. In an instant, that can be changed and taken from you. The only anchor that truly holds our soul is the anchor of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say it often around here, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Say that with me if you would. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. But do we truly know what the main thing is? Because if we get that part wrong, then we're keeping the wrong thing the main thing. This morning I want to share just a few thoughts on the subject, a life that is focused. Our text will be coming from Proverbs, the fourth chapter, verses 20 through 27. A life that is focused. Beloved, where is your focus today? What is before you? What captures your heart? What captivates your mind? I want to tell you as the days go by, as I see of wars and rumors of wars, as we see of famine and pestilence all around, as we see the threat of North Korea, as we watch the news and we see the storms and the hurricanes and the tempests On every hand, every week, there's a new storm beyond compare of any other time in the world's recorded history. One can't help but imagine and know with all certainty that the Lord Jesus Christ is getting ready to return. A blind man could see it coming as plain as the the face upon our bodies. It's becoming more clear every day. And one of these days, the Bible says, there's going to be a trumpet blast. All the dead in Christ are going to get to rise first and then we which are alive and remain, every preacher that's ever preached that says we as if we know for sure it's going to be us. We're going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we'll ever be with Him. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day where there'll be no more death and no more sorrow, no more parting, no more pain. I'm looking forward to the day where my little boy didn't have to take a shot anymore because he hurts. I'm looking forward to a day when we don't get the call that we've just lost a loved one or there's been a terrible tragedy. I'm looking forward to a day where there's no more war and there's no more hunger 
Oh, what a day that's going to be at that midnight cry. Father, have your will and way as we worship you now. Take us into your presence. Let us bask in your glory. Let us look forward to that day when you return and rapture us away. Oh, God, even so we cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. And, oh, God, if you were to return, Lord Jesus, before this service comes to an end, make us ready, make us watching, that our lamps would be trimmed and burning, ready as our Savior's return even quickens now. In Jesus' name, a life that is focused. Let me give you two things this morning. I know it's hard to believe, two points instead of three, but look at the bright side. We'll get out early. Two points. Number one, when we think about living a life that is focused, we must first look at that which is primary, that which is most important, that which is significant, that which captures our attention. Now this message this morning is for the individual believer, but also for the church. How easy it is to live a life that is out of focus. I remember as a boy, my father was a photographer. And that was before the digital age. And he would take the camera and he would place it on a tripod to get it perfectly still. And then he would begin twisting and turning the lens and the viewfinder to bring everything into focus. And after what seemed like an eternity, finally everything would be in focus. And then he was ready to capture the object before him. Beloved, you and I must be very methodical and very careful to keep life in focus, to make sure the primary, that which is before us, is truly kingdom work. The primary, Matthew 6, says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all of the other things will be added unto you. So there is the primary focus of our life. Now, if I were to ask you today, what are you focused on? It would be very apparent by the life that you're living. There are those of us who are focused on our career, there are those of us who are focused on somehow accumulating things or our hobbies or our interests and, and some our families. Nothing wrong with that, certainly. But our primary focus beyond everything else must be the kingdom of God, what it is that God's doing in my life, what it is that God has for me. Now, in order to help us bring all of this into focus, I want to share three things with you. Number one, there is a mandate that every one of us as believers has received. Notice what the Bible says, verse 20. Proverbs 4, my son, there is a relationship there that is very clear. You and I cannot have a life that is focused until first our relationship with Christ is settled. Does that make sense? Amen. We're just going through the motions, playing pretend games. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. In other words, concentrate on my words. For they are life to those that find them and help to all their flesh. Verse 23. Keep thy heart. Hebrew word here is to guard or to protect thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a forward mouth, a negative mouth, one that goes against the word and the will of God. And perverse lips put far from thee. Let your eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet. Don't just walk in any direction. Don't just go in any way. But think about what you're doing. Be methodical. Be careful about the steps that you're taking. And let all of your ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove your foot from Evil. Number one, there is a mandate. Now, our mandate, if you will, is our guiding persuasion. What it is that persuades us daily, individually, 
and as a church, what is to be our primary focus? In the book of John, we find these words, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. In other words, by this shall everybody know that you belong to me. Not the way you dress, not how you carry yourself, not how many times a week you attend church, how many committees you're on, how faithful you are to God's house, but literally your love for one another. When we were first having children, every child we had, praise God, uh, they looked like their mama. That was a good thing. They had a 50-50 shot. I'm glad it went that way. And Tiffany would take these children places and they would look at, at these kids and look into their eyes and say, Wow, boy, you can't deny these children. She says, Well, I, a couple of them I thought about at times, but I really don't. You can't deny them. And they would say, I don't know what it is. But when I see your child, I see you in them. Beloved, I want to tell you, when people see us, they ought to see the love of the Heavenly Father in us. There ought to be no mistaking it. It's as if they were to say, God, you can't deny this one because they're loving people just like you love them. Our mandate, first and foremost, is to love one another. Love the saved, love the lost, love everybody. Jesus wasn't particular in who he loved. He loved everybody. The Bible said, for God so loved the world, the whole world. Love one another. But our mandate is also number two, to labor with one another. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, the Bible says that we are to be co-laborers together. By the way, the Bible doesn't say that we're just to be co-worshippers together, co-members together, but co-laborers. It is a sad testimony that so many Christians are not laboring for the Lord, are not serving the Lord physically. Now think about this. If we want to be a healthy body physically, it is important that we are an active body physically. You know, we need to understand that the body of Christ is not just called to come and to sit, but to come and to serve. So our mandate, our guiding persuasion is that we love one another and that we labor alongside of one another. Remember, we're focusing, we're developing that focus. Number two. Not only do we have a mandate that must be primary, there must be a mission that is primary. Our calling. As a believer, what is my ultimate calling in life? Well, the Bible calls it the great what? Commission. It's found in a number of different places, at least seven times specifically. But one place that we normally refer to it is in Matthew 28 and verse number 18 down through 20. And the Bible says this, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the the end of the world. This is our mission. This is our motivating force, our guiding principle as individuals and as a church. It is not that difficult to build a church and to have programs and to have personalities that lead those programs in that church. But ultimately, it becomes our goal not just to have a church, but to be the church. And the church has a great commission. I want you to think about the Great Commission in this way. Number one, think about the greatness of our commission. The very fact that God would entrust us. Now, he's saying, you are going to be my representatives. Now, if you are going to select someone to be your representative in another state, another land, you would choose that person very, very carefully. You would want to say, my reputation is at stake. I am depending upon you to be a faithful witness of me. So think about the greatness of our commission. He has called us to be his disciples. He has called us to be his body. 
Do we ever truly stand in awe of that calling? I am so grateful on Sunday mornings at two campuses to get to come and and to just be overwhelmed with the realization that God has called me and God has allowed me to be the one that gets to bring the word, that gets to preach the gospel, that gets to stand in that place of being your pastor. I'm humbled by that. I'm amazed by that. Over the next couple of days, we'll be in Ashborough at Caraway, uh, attending our last board of directors meetings of the Baptist State Convention. And I'm going to get to speak. And, and I'm very humbled by that to think for the last time I get to stand in that position as being president of our convention. And, you know, somebody said to me, I can't believe you're going to give that up like it's some great position of authority. I want to tell you, every day of this last year, when I realize that they've chosen me and elected me and called me to to, to serve in this way, it has never once created a spirit of arrogance in my spirit. It's always been a sense of awe. I can't believe of all the people that could have been chosen, they chose me. And every Sunday as I stand in this place, I stand in awe. Of all the people that God could have chosen, He chose me. He allowed me this great privilege. Beloved, if you're a believer today, think about this. You have been called with a high calling to be the representatives, to be the arms and the legs and the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ it's time we stand in all of that the greatness of our commission ah but there's more there's also the greatness of his mission that we are on a great mission that we are literally standing in the gulf between heaven and hell in many people's lives he has called us to carry the gospel message do we really believe this message Do we really understand the mission that we're on? I'm grateful for our folks that are feeding people today and some are washing clothes today for people who need that. When you don't have a home, that's one thing you need. You need to get your clothes washed and those kind of things. I'm glad for the things that our people are doing, but at the end of the day, the reason they're washing clothes and the reason they're feeding people and the reason they're rebuilding homes and and, and mudding out homes and all of these things is so that they might present the gospel. They're not on a rebuilding mission. They are on a reviving mission. They're not on a a bricks and mortar mission. They're literally in a soul mission today. What is it that you and I can do to be on mission for God? I'm grateful to know that our church is a mission-minded church. Now, I understand that not everybody gets that and understands exactly what that means. There is nowhere in the scriptures that God calls us to come into a building once a week and worship. The Bible does say don't don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But understand from the very beginning of the church that the assembly came together not just to have a hoop up time but to come be engaged, be equipped, be excited, be energized and then go, go, go. We have a mission to accomplish. We have a mission. I want you to imagine for a moment how many have ever served in the military? I'm grateful for your service in our churches. We believe in that and we love our veterans. But imagine, Brother Dave, imagine that you would have received your basic training, your AIT. You would have been given your artillery. You would have been equipped, given your uniforms and everything you needed. And then your commanding officer says, okay, now guys, here's what we're going to do. Once a week, we're going to come together. We're going to put on our uniforms. We're going to get our artillery. We're going to come together. We're going to get in a room. We're going to hunker down. And we're just going to talk about how good it is to be a soldier. And one day, you get to retire. That's it. You'd say, really? That's not what I enlisted for. I I thought I was actually joining something. I I thought I was joining the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard. I hope I hadn't left anybody out. The fact of the matter is, when we get saved, we are entering the service of the Lord. And if we have this idea that our goal is simply to come together, well, we're missing it. And it isn't about me sitting up here and beating you up. It's, oh, I want so much more for you, beloved. 
the greatness of our mission. Acts 1-8, Jesus made it clear. After you receive the Holy Ghost and His power, then you're going to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. What's that mean? Somebody say it with me. Here. I'm so glad God put that on my heart. I want to tell you, you have those aha moments in life where God literally takes you and turns you down a different course. I remember thinking those words and thinking, wow, that's powerful. Because I'm just going to be perfectly honest, my focus was all about right here. And, and, and you know, I realized there was much to do right here. But to be a healthy church, to be a thriving church, to be a healthy and thriving believer, our focus can't simply be here, but it must be there and it must be everywhere. Now let me tell you, it's not just to be everywhere and it's not just to be there. And it's not just to be here. It's not either or. It's not pick one. But the Bible says here, there, and everywhere. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Where is our mission? What is our mission? It is our guiding principle. So see, we have a mandate. That's in focus. Love one another. Labor with one another. We have a mission, the Great Commission. But there's more. As we bring everything into focus, we need to remember we also have a master. We have one who is calling the shots. And it's not the preacher, and it's not the deacons, and it's not the committees. But literally, it is Almighty God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that died so that we might have the church, so that the chief cornerstone might be set in its place. And our master is all about his guiding providence. His guiding providence. I am grateful to know, number one, he has a master plan. Did you know that? Say that with me. He has a what? A master plan. That's great. You did great. That's wonderful. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Isn't that something? This morning the Lord is thinking about me. He has thoughts toward me. Do you ever get humbled when you know somebody's thinking about you? You know? Sometimes people will send me a text and say, I just want you to know I was thinking about you. And I want to tell you, I stop at that moment and just thank God that somebody's thinking about me. Sometimes I'll call home when I'm on the road. I say, hey, baby, were you thinking about me? She'll get real up close to the phone, look around, make sure ain't nobody listening. She says, who is this? <laughs> listen, somebody's thinking about you, beloved. He's thinking about you. He has thoughts toward you. But listen, not only random thoughts, thoughts of peace, never of evil, to give you an expected, a prosperous, a longed for end. Here it is. He wants for you and me what we would want for ourselves if only we had his sovereign providence, if only we knew. So our master has a master plan. Now I want to tell you, that's not always easy to know. God has a master plan for his church here at Dublin. God has a master plan for his church at White Lake and his camp at White Lake and all the ministries and missions that we're involved with. He has a master plan. It's overwhelming to me at times. But can I tell you, not only does he have a master plan, and this is the hard part, he also has a mysterious plan. Now listen, he is not the author of confusion, but I want to remind you something. Isaiah 55 and verse number 8, the Bible says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The Bible says he wants to do exceeding abundant above whatever we could hope for. Think about this. Whatever we want for our lives, God's got a higher aim. Whatever we want for our kids, God's got a higher aim. Whatever we want for our church, God's got a higher aim. I'm grateful for that. He has a master plan, but it also can be a very mysterious plan. 
He wants us to beg Him for it. He wants us to spend time in prayer. He wants us to spend time acknowledging that we need from Him what He has to offer. We can develop committees and vision committees and planning committees and strategy committees and all of these things. But ultimately it's about thus saith the Lord and us being obedient to what He would call us to do. Many of you are teenagers and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do in life and what you're going to be when you grow up. I remember when I was 15 years old, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. Little did I knew I would never grow up. But young people, God's got something. I mean, He's got something so bigger and so greater and so much more awesome than you can ever imagine. So don't settle. Don't settle. Aim high and trust Him to do even more. Church, maybe you're discouraged right now. You look and you say, you know what? I'm not sure where we're going. I'm not sure how we're going to get there. I'm not sure exactly what God's got for us. Know that he's got a master plan. Notice at times it's a mysterious plan. I can promise you there are times there are some crooks in the road that we look back and say, boy, I didn't see that coming. But as we look back, we realize that God was working and navigating through every channel. He knew exactly where we needed to be. Friend, I'm grateful that some five, six, seven years ago now, our youth birthed a, a mission called Operation 19K. And in this community, that became a talking point at times. But billboards and t-shirts and strategies, we're going to reach lost people. We're going to reach unchurched people. We're going to reach people that nobody else is reaching. And through that process, God began causing us to think out of the box. Through that planning a second campus, through that doing some more community-focused events, realizing that that wasn't our plan, that wasn't our strategy, that wasn't something we dreamed up. But it was something God was working in the midst. This morning we saw 149 people attending church that the vast majority of them would not have been at church anywhere this morning had you not reached out and planted a church. The greatness of his mission can be accomplished because he's a great master. He is a great provider. You see, he has a master plan. He has a mysterious purpose. But number three, notice he and he alone can make miraculous provisions. The Bible says, and my God shall provide and shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. So who do we trust? We trust him. Do we panic when the giving's a little down? Maybe a little, I do. But at the end of the day, I trust him for provision. We always have. And when we're not exactly sure whether we go this way or that way, whether we move this way or that Listen, we trust Him because step by step, He's going to provide. We can become overwhelmed if we're not careful. Maybe you've heard Charles Stanley say this, Trust God and leave the consequences to Him. I don't know if you got to see Charles Stanley last night on In Touch. What a blessing. I never realized just how much Charles Stanley and I had in common. Charles Stanley and I, both our first job, was carrying newspapers in Danville, Virginia. I thought that was pretty cool. Me and Chuck, just like this, you know? But how many times has he said that? How many hundreds and even thousands of times have people sat and listened on the radio and watched on TV, and they were at that point, they weren't sure what to do. And we're there. Trust God. Trust God. And leave all the consequences to Him. The primary, what are we focused on? Number one, there's a mandate to love and to labor. Number two, there's a mission, our great commission. And number three, there is a master. He is providentially handling every need that we have. Number two, and I'll move through this quickly and I will close. It's important we understand that there is the primary focus, that which is before us. But we also need to acknowledge that if we are not careful, our attention will be distracted by the peripheral. That is the hardest word for me to say, and I've said it about a thousand times this morning. The peripheral. Say that with me. The 
See, y'all didn't do so good either. What does that mean? It is the secondary. It is that which is far to the right and far to the left. It is that which will distract us. Listen, if you're ever in a situation and you're trying to focus on something and there's stuff going on around you, it becomes very difficult because you're tempted to look over here and you're tempted to look over here. The enemy knows how to put things in your way that will cause your focus to be off of the things of God. That makes sense? Say amen. It'll happen in your homes, your families, your marriage. It'll happen in your business. It'll happen in the church. So let me give you three things very, very quickly. How do we deal with distractions biblically? By the way, there is a way to do that. Number one, there is the distraction of frustration. You say, well, that's pretty simple. Think about this. Frustration. We get frustrated when things are out of our control and they're no longer in focus. We can't see things clearly. I do not like driving in the fog. I do not like driving in the heavy rain. And yes, I am turning into a senior citizen because I do not like driving after dark. I was going to take my wife out to eat last night. We were going to go to Lumberton and I, we were talking about it. And I thought, you know, I really don't think we're going to do that because we might get caught after dark driving home. And I really don't want to drive home after dark. I went home, took two teaspoons of Metamucil and watched the Gaithers. I'm old. The fact of the matter is it's hard when we get frustrated. When we feel like we can't see the end of the tunnel, we can't see where we're headed and it's just frustrating. It, it comes from a lack of faith. It comes from a, a life that is not in focus. Think about the Old Testament example. The children of Israel have been led out of Egyptian bondage. They're now in the wilderness. That's a tough place to be, no doubt. And they're being led by God daily. Now think about this. They weren't exactly where they wanted to be. But they were exactly where God would have them to be. Now they're wandering in the wilderness. Every day God's leading them out a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Every day man is coming from heaven. Their needs are being met every day. Their shoes are not wearing out. I mean God's doing some pretty miraculous things. But they can't see it. Their life is so out of focus. They're so frustrated. They're crying out to Moses. I'm sure Moses is crying back. The people of Israel are saying, Moses, why did you lead us out of Egypt? We like life better there. And Moses was saying, God, why did you give me these bunch of grumbling backsliders? I don't like being their leader. And they're going back and forth. They're frustrated with one another. They can't see what God is doing because of what's going on in the peripheral. Number two, there's the New Testament example. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is performing miracles. He's, he's setting people free. He's raising the dead. He's doing all of these things. But the disciples don't get it. And Jesus continually says, Oh, ye of little faith, why do you see? Or it's before you, yet you're, you're not willing to see. How can you be so blind to what's going on? Why? Because they were frustrated because Jesus wasn't performing kingdom work on their terms. They wanted Jesus to set up the kingdom there. They wanted to be seated at his right and at his left. They had plans and they were frustrated because Jesus had a different plan. But thirdly, there's the church age example. There are so many churches today that are splitting. The last three or four days, every place I've gone, I'm to the point I don't even want to go out. Because every place I go, people come to me and say, Preacher, I want you to pray for our church. And they must assume that we have the perfect church and we never have a disagreement. We never have any kind of schism. Evidently, because praise God, if that's the reputation we have, that's wonderful and nearly true. But people will come to me and say, pray for us, preacher. Boy, we're just divided. Boy, there's a mess. Boy, this, boy, that, boy, that. And you wonder, what's going on? Well, it comes from a spirit of frustration. I'm not getting my way. Things are not going as I would want them to. I don't agree with the leadership. I don't agree, whatever. And sometimes it's just being overrun. Let me say this, and please do not read anything into this. This is just the truth. What causes so much confusion in churches many times? 
Because lost people go to church. Isn't that a beautiful sound? My mom and daddy's church sure wish they could hear that one time. Amen. She looked over at me and quit crying. But so many times you've got people who, who are lost. I don't mean that to be critical. It's just the truth. And you've got people who are, who are backslid or, and they're not praying and they're not discerning and they're not reading the Bible. Well, how can God speak to someone clearly in that condition? And then you've got God at work and you've got the enemy at work and it collides and frustration comes. Here it is. Frustration comes when we become, when we become focused on ourself rather than our Savior. You know? There are times that I'm tempted to, you know, say, man, if we just back off some things, you know, it'd be a lot easier. Somebody literally told me not too long ago, I think you'd be better off not to talk about missions so much from the pulpit. And, and I thought, I said, you know, I, I'm a guy, I'm a, I got common sense. You know, and I said, Lord, I'm just going to quit talking about missions so much from the pulpit. That's okay with you, God. And he said, no, it's not okay with me. Because it's not about missions of Dublin First Baptist or the Lake Church. But it's about his mission. It's about his mission. The distraction of frustration when we're out of focus. Number two, the distraction of failure. I know time is up, but give me just an extra little moment or two. The distraction of failure. Not everything the church goes at is going to succeed and just, you know, blow through the roof. Not everything that we attempt is going to go as we hope. Not every staff person we hire is going to stay 32 years and retire. Not every program that we start is going to grow and, and be just beyond imagination. Not every goal that we set is going to be met. Realize there are going to be some things that we might determine as failures. There are simply areas that still stand in need. I mentioned a moment ago there's a common consensus in, in the community at times that, man, Dublin's just got it going on. Man, Dublin's just got everything. But we've got our issues. And we'd be a fool not to admit that. If you're visiting here today, I hope I didn't bust your bubble. Listen, if this was a perfect church, the moment 17 years ago, the moment I became the pastor, it would have become a very imperfect church. We moved in a 17 years ago today. thought about that some of y'all were down there waiting on us to help us move in man wow it's kind of how time has flown had a moment there didn't we how many of you helped us move in that day there's a few of you hadn't run off praise God thank you for hanging in there thank you for hanging in there with us y'all let me give you this real quick the distraction of failure by the way, this is true in your life, not just in your church. Not every game you play, guys and gals, is going to be a great game. Not every day married couples is going to be honeymoon. Not every day at your job is going to be smooth as silk. Not every chapter in the life of the church is going to be without failure. Do you think I don't look at the bulletin and see we're behind budget? Do you think I don't look at the board and realize Sunday school numbers are off? Yeah, these are areas we might call failures. Needs. Let me give you two things. Number one, there's got to be a clear diagnosis. Why? Why is Sunday school a little bit off? We've got some of the greatest Sunday school teachers I know. We meet at a perfect time of day. They've got some of them coffee and donuts. I mean, you can't beat it. 
Someone said recently, and they meant it in love, I think, well, Pastor, the only thing that we know is that our Sunday school numbers were cut in half when the Lake Church began. Just because you're no longer in the building, some people don't see the need of coming to Sunday school. Okay. Now, the diagnosis cannot be, well, the preacher's not in Sunday school, so nobody ought to come to Sunday school. The Bible says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. So the problem is there's a problem with our appetite. If there's an opportunity to be fed and we're not coming, let's not, you know, don't mix up things. The diagnosis. What is the root of issues that we sometimes struggle with? We need to look beyond the physical and beyond what's on the surface to the the spiritual. Well, what's going on? Why are people not giving? Why are people not giving as they once were? Why are people stuck, you know, whatever? Well, there's a spiritual diagnosis. Number two, not only must there be a diagnosis, there must be a remedy. Now, how could we remedy this? Well, we could bring in somebody and we could have an expert on, on Sunday school growth. That'd be great. An expert on financial. That'd be great. But ultimately, we need to retreat to the Word of God. We need to be faithful to the Bible. Realize that every remedy for every diagnosis is found in the pages of Scripture. Let me go on and say, a diagnosis without a remedy accomplishes nothing. So if we meet and we just point out all the things that are going wrong, we haven't accomplished anything, you know? How important it is that the desire of our diagnosis that there be a remedy. It's easy to point out what's wrong. It's easy to point out when there's a problem, but how important to find that biblical remedy and then allow God to bring about healing. Number one, there's the distraction of frustration. Number two, there's there's this distraction of failure. And number three, and I am done, there is the distraction of fear. fear. Fear, according to Zig Ziglar, is faith in reverse. It's when faith goes in the opposite direction. It's when you turn around and you walk away from what God's calling you to do simply because you're scared. Last night as I was watching Charles Stanley and putting final points into this message, God spoke to my heart this little phrase. Fear is the natural reaction to supernatural actions. That's pretty good for a guy that's not that swift sometimes, right? Fear is the natural reaction to supernatural actions. When God gets to working, it'll scare us. When God gets to working, it will intimidate us. It will overwhelm us. It'll make us have cause to back up and say, Well, now, wait a minute. Think about fear. Think about the 12 spies that went into Canaan. And 10 came back and began talking. You should see that land. It's beautiful. But man, those giants over there, we're like grasshoppers. They were exaggerating. They were making it worse than it really was. They totally, totally were ignorant of of the promises of God. They weren't looking and concentrating on what God was doing. They, They were fearful. And those 10 spies corrupted, number one, fear is corrupting. They corrupted the whole nation of Israel. And that vote came back. And the nation of Israel would find themselves now wandering in God's judgment for 40 years. Fear is corrupting. Listen, fear will sideline the saints. Sideline the saints. Don't be scared. Don't be intimidated. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be discouraged. There is nothing to fear but fear itself, said a president one time. I want to tell you what I'm fearful of. 
is when God's people become fearful of following Him. I am proud of you. I am thankful for you, for your willingness to step up in courage and be bold and do things out of the box. Keep on. Keep on. Keep on. Fear is corrupting, number two, and I am done. Fear is crippling. Fear is crippling. To the church, fear stalls the work of God. How many times have you seen a church that's moving and that's growing and that's doing great things, great kingdom work, and all of a sudden something happens and it comes to a halt? Sometimes it's frustration. Sometimes it's a failure. But too often it's fear. Vision. And the courage to follow the divine inspiration of God is life to the church. Where's our focus today, y'all? Where's my focus? Where's your focus? Mind not things of the earth. Mind the things of God, the Bible says in Colossians. Well, where's our focus? Where's our focus? You see, a church doesn't get focused. Did you know that? There's no viewfinder on the church. But the people that make up the church become focused. A church that is focused will not be a church that is feuding. A church that is focused will not be a church that is divided. Because we have one common goal, one common mission. I don't know why this silly little illustration popped into my mind. If you were to travel with me to, to Fayetteville right now, take a ride at the hospital, you would see a traffic jam beginning to start. Cars coming down Murchison, cars coming down Village, cars coming down All-American, cars coming in every direction with one goal in mind. Will somebody tell me? To get into K&W. A common goal to get into K&W. Friend, I want to be like that. I want to see our folks with a common goal. And it's not about getting into heaven, but getting into the kingdom work that God would have us to do. Sure, there'll be a little confusion. There might be a horn or two get honked. There might be some running. There might be... Not everybody's going to go at the same pace. But as long as we've got a common goal, there is no telling what God can and will do. Father, thank you for the focus that you allow our lives.